As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the Welcome to Anything is The Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And today we have a special guest from the Locked on Hawks podcast and a writer for Dime Up Rocks. It's Brad Roland here to give us the Hawks perspective. Brad, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, fellas. I appreciate the invites. Although, uh, hopefully this podcast goes better than game one did for the Hawks. Have you ever taken a charge in a pickup game, Brad? Um, Not on purpose. I think I've been (laughs) run over several times. But uh, no, I have not slid under someone to take a charge in a pickup game. I've probably done it in an actual game with refs. Uh, back in maybe high school or something like that, but not in a pickup game. No, have you? Are, is that something you do, Jay? No, no. Joe Mazzula said today that he has, in fact, taken charges in pickup games before, which is like the most classic Joe Mazzula thing to say <laughs> and do. Here's um, the very important question, though, because I, I like Brad, have mistakenly taken a charge, just being too slow to move my feet and been trucked by the uh, guy on offense. I was not bold enough at that moment to yell foul or charge. Do you think Joe Missoula planted his feet, took the charge, and then yelled foul and like demanded the ball? Yes, and I I would bet that he then nearly got in a fight defending his call too. Would be my guess based on knowledge of Joe Missoula. <laughs> Today was also the Boston Marathon, so he was asked if he would run a marathon, and he said, "Sure, I'd run until I die." And like that just goes to show the kind of level of maniac uh, we're dealing with. Someone someone Boston. tweeted me this, and I swear to God, I was thinking the same thing. He's he's the David Goggins of the NBA. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know David Goggins. He's like this motivational speaker who's just absolutely out of his mind. In like a, I can Is he persevere through tough things. Like every day. Yes, yeah. that's the guy. And like, like just believes he can persevere through any type of pain, injury, anything just so, yeah. So 
Brad, I guess the question that that's a, gives you some perspective into the craziness that is the Boston Celtics head coach. Let's try to get into the mind of Quinn Snyder, Atlanta Hawks head coach, and figure out what the adjustments are heading into game two. Because other than Trey Young making more shots and the team making more threes, I'm not sure what their what the go-to strategy is there. Yeah, I mean, it would obviously help. Uh, there's actually this side argument going on in Atlanta right now as to like how much of the disparity was just because of shooting in game one. And I fall on the some of it was shooting. Uh, it was certainly not all that. Like, obviously, Boston's a better shooting team in Atlanta flat out. I mean, that's clear by the numbers. Boston didn't have this great shooting game in their own right. They were much better than the Hawks were. But yeah, I think it would, number one, help if they made shots. I mean, they're going to have to. I think as the underdog in the series, which I think everyone probably acknowledges, maybe outside of that locker room, they're the underdog in the series. You can't get out shot on top of everything else. So they need to win the possession battle every game, and they have to win, at least ha- sort of hang around the shooting battle, and they got one of those two done. They actually won the possession battle. It took more shots than the Celtics did in game in game one. Um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, adjustment-wise, I think it looks a lot like the second half. Now, the question is how much of that was Boston just pedaling off? Because reality, human nature, there's no way that was Boston's best effort in the second half. I mean, that's pretty objectively true. But the Hawks just played much better. They executed much better. They were maybe got maybe they got shoot out in the locker room. I don't know how that went. But um, they were more inspired, especially on defense, because, you know, I'm sure you guys saw it. The first quarter, in addition to three-point shooting, it was a layup line. I mean, Boston was getting half-court layups uncontested. And that just can't happen. I mean, you, you gotta you gotta choose one or the other. Either you get beat by beat, beat from three, or you get beat on layups. You can't give up both. And the Hawks give up. Everything. And it's got to be contested layups too, right? Like you can't, you can't just you can't give up everything. It, it was just staggering. And part of that's Boston. I mean, again, Boston makes life difficult. They're playing five out to start the game, and Clint Capella is really good. But if he's standing twenty feet from the rim in the corner guarding Al Horford, he, he can't do anything about that. Like he's not unless you're just going to leave him, which they might ha- have to do. Maybe it's going the other way and giving Boston 53-point attempts in game two. Maybe that's the adjustment. That, that's terrifying because they might just bludgeon you to death if you do that, but you got to choose one or the other. So I, I'm not sure what the adjustment is going to be because, honestly, this is Cole think... first series. So we'll see as far as w- with the Hawks. Like, he just got here. So I, a lot of coaches, if it, if it, was, if it was Nimit Millen, I would have an idea of what they're, what they're going to do next. With Quinn Snyder, we haven't seen this. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing along with everybody else. It would be kind of crazy. Uh, but I just came up with this idea while you were talking, so it's just really a half-baked thing that I'm about to suggest. Should they put Capella on Marcus Smart and just dare Marcus Smart to shoot? Like, if you're going to leave somebody, just leave him because Derek White has proven to be a decent shooter. I've, I've always thought, so last year in the second round, was it the second round when the Celtics played the Bucks? The Bucks used Brooke Lopez to guard Grant Williams, right? And, like, just said, Grant Williams, take as many threes as you want. And I always thought it was a dumb move, not because they tried it, but because they did it on Grant Williams. Like, why not do it on Marcus Smart? And maybe the answer is just that he's the point guard and he would just be involved in more actions, and then you get Jason Tatum involved in more screens, and and maybe it would just go very fucking poorly. (laughs) But... If you're stuck between we can't have Capella help because he's too scared of Al Horford and we're giving up wide open layups every single time, I don't know. That would be something that would at least cross through my mind if I were Atlanta. It's not the worst idea. And, you know, before I did that, I would probably just make Al 
beat me, beat me from three point range. That's yeah. probably what I would do first. But I, I had that conversation with somebody offline. That's a smart Hawks person. Like just as an, a thought bubble about taking Capella, putting him on smart or, you know, maybe trying to invert the minutes a little bit and have a Kong Wu out there when Robert Williams is not because he's, he's more mobile than Capella. Capella's pretty mobile for a center, but Kong Wu is like very, very mobile for a center. Maybe you do that. But yeah, I mean, Maybe you go to, I think they're called, what are they called? David strategies. When you know you're the underdog and it's basically like we, you have to be more variance driven. Maybe it's just make Al Horford take 12 threes in game two. And they know him, obviously he's very familiar to Hawks fans, but like Al might go six of 12. That might happen. And then you're dead. But he also might go to, he also might go two of 12. And if you do he that. Also, he also might just be reluctant to shoot all those threes. Sure. I mean, what like, wasn't Grant Williams? I mean, you know, obviously you guys are better than I do. Wasn't there a spell where Grant Williams wasn't like letting it fly like he probably should have been in the playoffs yeah. last year? I think he, he finally did it eventually, but wasn't he like, why am I so open all the time kind of thing? <laughs> it, it took him a little. It was probably like midway through the second quarter and the Bucks were up five or seven, as I recall. I, I could be have the the details mistaken, but there was definitely a time when it was like this, this, this might work. Like the, the Bucks are, this is wild. But leaving a forty percent three point shooter wide open all game might actually work, and then it didn't. But there was a moment when it could have. Uh, did you really watch Game One from a hospital? Uh, I did. Yes, <laughs> that, My, was, that uh, was maniac behavior. It was. Look, uh, I can't afford to not watch these games unless I just can't. And I, I wasn't in the hospital. To be fair, my sister in law just had their first kid, so I'm, I'm a nephew. For, oh, sorry, I'm a nephew. I'm an uncle for the first time. But uh, I was in the waiting room, and I was like, "Well, I." I'm not doing anything. I, I might as well watch the game live because I can. I have to watch it at some point today, so I might as well just watch it now. And I had, uh, I fortunately had my my big laptop with me too, so I, was, I had enough room on the screen. It was a beautiful setup, unless you just knew what I was doing. I'm sure people thought that I was a sicko, but I, I kind of <laughs> am a sicko, I guess. But I was watching. I had to do the podcast anyway after the game, so I was like, I was that was dialed in. And fortunately, the first half it was like, all right, well, this is kind of over. I can mostly not watch. I mean, I, I still watched it, but you know what I mean? It was not like it was a competitive game all the way through. It made it probably a little bit easier. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. I think if you're the host of a daily uh, podcast, as and just any daily pod, sports podcast, you are by definition a sicko. And so I don't think that's uh, like out of uh, normal behavior for someone. The thing Were is, you podcasting no, no from surprised. the hospital too? I I was going. This is funny. I was going to. I actually had a place to. I had a place to record and everything. I talked to the lady that was there. I was like, "Can I? Can I steal a little corner of this? Some just to." And I was gonna be very honest, with people. I'm having the hospital hospital recording. Then I didn't realize this. The waiting. They had like waiting hours, and the game went long enough. And then I was still there, and I'm like, "Oh, you can't be here past whatever time it was." And I was like, "Well, I guess I can't do the podcast." So I went anyway. I went to a, cl- a close location and came back later. But yeah, I, w- I swear to you, I was going to record. I even did the leg work and everything. I had, I had a place scouted out. It would have been. What awesome. was your location? There was this like office that nobody was using that she pointed <laughs> me to. I, it was. I, I would have been standing up. It would have been one of the situations where it's like a, a standing desk kind of thing. It would have been great, and I'm sure it would have been even better than my background right now. But alas, it never happened. Maybe maybe I, one day it'll happen. I, I, I love that you did not say I am a sicko. You said other people might think I'm a sicko. Well, they while you have it all too. scouted out, and that you have this this office. Well, I, I mean, in the you know this. I, I waiting for you. They they know I'm a maniac. It takes some sort of maniac tendencies to do what I do and cover and do all the jobs I have. And I have a day job too. It's 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 a crazy life. But the fact that no one was surprised that I was watching and then recording was probably the number one indication that I'm a crazy person. So. Okay, Fair so enough. in this series. 
What terrifies you most about the Celtics? Ooh, I'm, it's probably their ability to space out, which we've already talked about a little bit. So that's that's maybe a boring answer for now. But that's probably it against this Hawks team because I have some confidence, some not overwhelming, that the Hawks can score on almost anyone. They are pretty good on offense. They're not incredible, but as long as you know they're playing up to their capability or close to it, they're going to score in this series. They're not going to score in bunches. I don't think against Boston's good defense, but. They're, the Hawks' perimeter defense has been their biggest problem all year, in my mind. And I've watched every minute of the season. They just can't stay in front of anybody. And they and that causes breakdowns. And they have pretty good backline defenders. Capella's really good. I think John Collins has gotten a lot better. Akong was really good. But you look at the perimeter guys, the only regular that I would say is, and even been average defensively this year, is DeAndre Hunter. And he's not elite. So like you don't saw, put Murray in that group either. Well, the, here's the thing. And I don't, I'm not trying to pile on DeJounte, but he was billed as this like game changer on defense when he arrived. And I kind of heard rumblings from people in San Antonio like, hey, that, that may not be the guy anymore. Like now that he's got this bigger role in offense, he's not been playing at that level defensively. He gets steals. He's really active. He's got a, he's got good reads. He's disruptive. But watching him game in, game out, like it's been disappointing. And I think he's been honestly pretty bad defensively this year not even just like okay but like i would i think he's been a pretty active negative now it's tough for him already in the series because he's you're asking him to guard jalen brown at least that was his primary matchup and like he's already given up what three inches to jalen brown a lot of size that's hard enough and then his on ball stuff in general has been poor this year so you throw that in it's tough and then you got you know everyone knows about trey you got mcdonovich who is a good player but is a step slower than he used to be he can't really guard these guys um, you know, Jalen Johnson has been this revelation for them, but he's still a second year guy who's basically a rookie. He didn't play at all last year. Like they don't have any perimeter defenders that scare you outside of Hunter's their best. And Hunter versus Tatum is obviously advantage Tatum. So like, what, what are you supposed to do with that? It's personnel. It's then they all know it. As soon as Snyder got there, he's pretty open. Like we got to stay in front of people and they just haven't been able to do it. Yeah. I, I thought one of the most interesting things of the first half of game one was I thought the Celtics would just really like be calculated about trying to go at Trey Young, and they didn't even really bother. Yeah. <laughs> like they Agreed. just went at whoever. It it didn't really matter. Um, and maybe that was just because they found early attacking angles, and but like they didn't have to go at that matchup because they had success in like all the matchups, which yeah, probably would, doesn't honestly. If you're well if you're the Hawks, Atlanta. yeah, if, if you're the Hawks that's something that maybe worries you because Boston didn't, didn't do what you said. Like, and they can't at any point. I, I think Trey's been better this year defensively, but that's obviously an extremely low bar to clear. He's still a guy to pick on. If they want to, they might come out in game two and decide to do that. Or maybe they wait till the second half in a close game and like, okay, now we're going to target Trey every play because, you know, I think he, he, he has, com- he has competed this year more than he has in the past. I think he will. It's a playoff series. He's not going to just quit and roll over defensively, but He's still 6'2 and 180 pounds. And if you try to get him on a switch against against Brown or Tatum, like you're just dead. He's not going to be able to stop those guys. So yeah, that's one of the terrifying things is that Boston didn't have to go into their bag on offense because they got everything was so easy in the first half. And look, the numbers in the second half were awful for Boston. But like again, how much of that is just the way the game flow went? We'll see if the Hawks have a counter. But yeah, I think at some point in a one of these I think one of these games will at least be close. And then we'll see maybe if they in the fourth quarter, if like, okay, now we're going to point at Trey and go at him every time. We'll see. I guess what's the what's the secret or what do the Hawks do to try and just get Trey going on on offense? I mean, just looking at the box score from last game, DeJounte had 25 shots, which um, I don't know if that's the ideal kind of shot profile for 
the Hawks when they're scoring, but you said they've been a pretty good offense this entire year. But I don't know. I was just wasn't very impressed with like uh, Hunter or Collins or uh, especially John Collins didn't really do much in, in game one. So other than Trey and DeJounte, like what, who else needs to be basically doing stuff on offense for them, for their offense to be clicking. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Col- I thought Collins was their best defender in game one, as low as that bar probably is. But yeah, one of the problems with their starting lineup, which actually worked really well in the first half of the season when nothing else was going well for the Hawks, is that it's this two- it's those two guys who create things and they don't have a lot of space. Hunter is a solid shooter, but he's not a knockdown guy. Collins can be okay as a shooter. But one of the things that's honestly kind of maddening about the whole John Collins experience, it's not really his fault, is that he's best as a pick and roll threat. And they just don't, they don't ever do that anymore. They just stop doing that because they are playing him next to a center. And that's a very familiar refrain for the Hawks, but yeah, I mean, they have to unlock Trey. It's easier said than done, but he can't be, I mean, taking seven less shots than DeJounte in a game anyway, especially when Murray's not cooking there. There are nights when Murray's got it going and you see Trey kind of defer, but that was not what happened in game one. Murray took some, I mean, he, he scored the most points on the team, but he was not efficient. And, you know, Trey against, Defenses that can switch like Boston, that's been his weakness in the past. And I was kind of surprised. I don't know about you guys. Boston played more traditional drop in the first half in particular than I thought. I thought they were going to switch everything and because that's really what's bothered the Hawks. But they didn't have to. I mean, in the second half, they kind of did just to maybe take some pressure off themselves and not have to go as hard through screens. But, I mean, if, if they don't have Trey going, the easy answer is that they're dead and because th- they are. And uh, there's no way that I have seen, and I've been trying to find one for four days that the Hawks will win this series with Trey being anything other than good. He doesn't have to average 40 or anything like that. But if he's if he plays like he did in game one, they just have no chance. And part of that is, you know, Murray's a floor raiser. He can get his own shot. And he's not, but he's not going to put too much pressure on the defense. And they're and their bench guys. You know, Bogey's a guy who can go nuclear for a half, but he's not going to be able to do it all the time. They have some spacers, but they don't have a lot of shot creation. That's why they brought in Murray in the first place, but they still really only have two guys that can get their own shot consistently. And if either one of them is struggling or if both of them are struggling, they just don't have a ton of plan B, uh, sort of plan B, plan C answers. Let's take kind of a a wider perspective that goes outside the series. Um, 
Quinn Snyder, just the difference between him and Nate McMillan has kind of fascinated me after spending some time listening to Quinn Snyder over the last, how like they played, did they play twice at the end of the regular season or just once at the end of the regular season and then in the playoffs too? Um, like his reliance or his, his desire to create three pointers and for the Hawks to shoot a ton of three pointers is just so wildly different from Nate McMillan that it's cracking me up. Uh, (laughs) And, and then the, the importance of offensive rebounding, I think he he's really made that an emphasis for them. And those are two changes that feel like they'll make a really good impact long-term, especially the three point shooting. Like if you have Trey young, your whole goal should be like build an awesome offense with guys who are athletic and can shoot threes and then can at least hold up defensively at the other end and take some of the burden off him at, at that end. And it just felt like they never lean into that under McMillan. How how do you see Quinn Snyder's lessons taking form and how have you liked the change so far from Nate McMillan? I think that he's hamstrung a little bit. Snyder I'm talking about because he came in midseason. It was such a weird situation. Like it pretty much, I, I did the research. It's pretty much never happened where a guy of his profile came in this late into a season to a different organization on a team that was still trying to win. Occasionally you'll see one at the end of the season where a team is like out of it. Like Chris Finch is the famous one in Minnesota a couple of years ago where they were, they were already dead. So it didn't matter. He came in early, but they weren't trying to win. Snyder came in post all-star break on a team with expectations that was trying to win. It's like very strange, by the way, with McMillan's entire assistant core, including his son on the staff. That's the craziest thing to me is that Nate McMillan's son is still on the staff and still like jaw and like getting in yelling yeah. matches with Trey Young. That is and fantastic. I, and honestly, I think it's, uh, you know, this is more local, obviously on my side, but I think it's almost like a testament to Quinn. A lot of guys might've just told Nate's son to go away right away. Even, even for no reason, just because he was Nate's son. And he didn't do that, which I, I thought was kind of a pretty nice gesture, honestly, even just nothing, however it was. And a confident gesture, I would say, yeah. like like a this self-assured is- gesture. Agree. And, you know, that's the thing about giving a proven guy. Snyder didn't win a title in Utah, but he did a great job with the Jazz, like objectively, he did a great job. And he comes in with a five-year contract with, for a lot of money. That probably helps too. But like on the court, I'm with you. I mean, the two biggest changes you can see right away and even hear right away from what he's emphasizing, even into the media and in practices and shoot around and stuff like that, his three-point shooting is and getting to the rim. Um, and McMillan, for he had some strengths, but for one of his faults, in my opinion, was like he's a very is a very old school offense. Like they took a lot of mid-rangers, and their personnel does lean that way. Like Dejounte Murray is example number one, like a guy who just, who loves to take an eighteen-foot pull-up. He just loves it. Trey Murray, uh, sorry, Trey, Trey Murray, Trey Young will take those shots too, and DeAndre Hunter will take those shots. But Snyder immediately was like, we want to get to the rim and we want to take threes. And the numbers haven't really shown it as much as the rhetoric has. I think he's going to need uh, maybe an offseason to like get this roster in shape and also just like drive the point home because they should be taking 43s a game and they're taking 33s yeah. a game. They've been bottom five in the league all year. That's, that's just that should never be the case on a team with Trey Young on it, to your point. So. I think offensive rebounding is more of a triage thing. I think they're probably doing that a little bit more because they have to. It's like a way to kind of just flip things quickly, and they have the they have the personality and they have the bodies to do it. But long term, in particular, I think Snyder knows they need to be taking a lot of threes and emphasizing them, like really going out of their way to create them. I mean, even this is this is kind of funny when they play the Celtics in that last game of the year. 
Um, it was ESPN broadcast. In addition to uh, all of the love for uh, for Missoula's jujitsu instructor, who I know you wrote about this week, <laughs> Jay, uh, that was a that was a topic on the on the broadcast a lot that day. But number two, it was really funny to me. It's sort of an offhand thing, but they did one of those quarter interviews with Snyder in a game. It didn't matter at all. They're playing against Peyton Pritchard. It's all that stuff. And Snyder, the first thing he said was, "We can't let them take all these threes. We, we can't. We can't." And they're very. He's very attuned to like, we need to take more threes than them. And obviously against Boston, that's, that's tough to do. But just take more and allow less. And it's a very modern thing. It might sound very obvious, but in Atlanta the last couple of years, that was not what you heard from Nate McMillan. Like that was not their approach. Everybody seems to like when, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, baby steps for sure. I think he acknowledges that. Like they couldn't change it all overnight, but uh, they have the right, I think, mindset for the long term. Yeah, and I think like some... A, oh. oh, go ahead, Packer. Well, it kind of feels like a roster construction issue if you're just like i'm looking right now it's like i don't know what what the hawks going small lineup would look like are you really going to run john john collins at center or like who is the best three guys to put around Dejounte and trey young to kind of optimize spacing and shooting hunter and, sadiq bay and yeah that's that it, that's probably what it would be and i mean they do have it is a roster construction issue or bogdanovich so, like they're not they're not perfect there and you know, part of that is they had to, they tried to draft around Trey in an interesting way. Like they went with wings, they drafted Reddish and Hunter and they tried to go two way wings and they've gone bigger to play better defense, but hurts your offense a little bit. They haven't had the spacing. John Collins is a fine floor spacer for a four, but not a great one. They need someone. And I love John Collins, by the way, just for transparency. I think he's really good, but like going a more modern approach, like in Utah, Quinn had Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert together for a while. But their best lineups were after Favors was gone and they went four out with a center. And that I think is where they're gonna go. Maybe it's a trade of Collins or whatever, maybe it's Capella or whatever, like that. But like I think that to your point, like they they do need more three-point shooters. And also, look, the Murray young fit's not perfect. They kind of knew that, but I think it's been not exactly what they thought. And you know, the two it's they wanted to go one way to get Murray to give them more of a shot creator, but him as like a, a wing spacer isn't the best idea either. Um, same with Trey off the ball when Murray's on the ball. So it isn't perfect there. And then you, when you have even less shooting around them, it does lead in, in McVillan's defense. They don't have the best roster to be bombing away. They just don't. Yeah. It's it's really interesting too, because the Celtics fans listening to this are probably gonna be like, why are we talking so much Hawks? But <laughs> I, I'm actually like, just, it's not my, my fault. Jay asked me the question. Just, he asked me the question. Just listening to Quinn Snyder. I'm, I'm just really fascinated by the future and one of the things that's kind of stood out to me is the roster has guys that don't necessarily haven't necessarily felt free too far away who could be firing away. Like DeAndre Hunter has never been a huge three point attempt guy, but like he could be. Like, why not? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he, he probably should shoot a lot more. Bogdanovich should be getting those things up as much as possible. Trey Young obviously shoots more of them, but even for, a guy of his caliber, like the three point attempts aren't as high as you think they would be. And looking back to Snyder's tenure in Utah, like one of the biggest changes you saw was they became a team that had a whole bunch of guys that would have total freedom to fire away, could all run pick and rolls. And like everyone's three point attempts went up from Donovan Mitchell, who had the ball all the time to Joe Ingles to Mike Conley, it was like those guys all started to really fire away. 
And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do with this offense because they're already a very good offense. And I think if you maximize that and just change guys' own individual philosophies a little bit, then there's a chance that this is like an awesome, awesome offense next year. Yeah, I think Murray and Hunter are the, are the two that I've circled as like the epitome of the change potentially because Hunter I've always thought was much better as a more three and D guy who just bombed away and it's habits with him. Like he, even dating back to college, like there was this thought that he was going to yeah. be this mid range Maven. Like the, he got, he got Kawhi, like the silly comparisons, but he still has a tendency to like one dribble pull up from 18 feet. And like, that's not a shot that you want him taking. And Murray is even worse. Like, I get it with Murray at least. He's a 20 point scorer, but he would he loves nothing more than an 18 foot pull up. So you, you gotta kind of break him of those habits. And I think Snyder knows that. So yeah, I, you're I'm with you. They were number two in the league in offense last year. But part of that was like actually, I think Gallinari was a sneaky part of that to have a selfish reference in here. Um, but he's not there anymore, and they don't have the same shooting around they they improved it with Bay, but but think about the roster even before they got Bay, they had even one less shooter. I mean, it was basically Bogey and a rookie and AJ Griffin as their knockdown guys, and that was it. And that's that's just not enough shooting in the modern NBA, especially when you have Trey Young. All right, yeah. One last piece. It, it, wow, it's really Jay. fascinated me because I, I think they're going to end up with an awesome, awesome offense. One more piece that from talking to guys who have kind of gone through the evolution where they're not huge volume guys to becoming huge volume guys. It's not just like the habits. Sometimes it's it's really like like you have to work on the versatility of three-point shooting. And so it's just a focus of your everyday habits. Uh, so I'm not surprised that it didn't take form like right away where they're just launching a ton of threes. But I do think over time like that, it, like next year, I bet they're top three or four in offense. I would be very surprised if they're not, because I think they'll go out and get another shooter or two. Griffin will be a year older. Uh, and then the guys who are there are just going to shoot a lot more of them. But Packard, now now you can take us back to. I, I wanted to bring back the series just to do Jay a favor. Uh, it's not as simple as the Hawks taking more threes in this. Like you can't just say take more threes. Like they the habits thing. Um, I was surprised how few Boston took in the in the opener. But again, part of that was that the first half they got. They just got instead. layup after layup after layup. But yeah. I, I do think it's an area to look at the rest of the series. We all know Boston's a huge favorite in the series, but if the Celtics are taking twice as many threes as the Hawks, like wave the white flag the hawks have to take 35 43 as a game to have a chance i think well that that gets me back to like tuesday night like what's what are you looking for in the first six minutes to see like uh if the hawks are kind of locked in they've been historically good at responding to a loss this year they usually <laughs> respond with exactly one win yes. um <laughs> is it simply just stay like being able to stay in front of their defenders is it like Maybe we see more like help from Clint Capello. Like, what is the six minutes into the first quarter? What's the thing that you see on the television? It's like, oh, the Hawks are are playing that a better version of defense tonight. Yeah, I, I think broadly it is. Are they just giving up everything Boston wants? They, I think they'll it'll be pretty clear if they choose a path in the first few minutes. Also, just like individual point of attack defense, like is is Jalen Brown, is Derek White, are they getting right, right into the paint immediately every time they want to? If that happens, they don't have a chance. But if they make some adjustments and they just individually take some responsibility, stay in front of guys, and also how the, how Cape I think Capella is the guy I'm watching the most early on because he's going to start. Obviously, I assume Boston will stick with our same lineup. 
is Capella playing 20 feet from the rim on Al Horford in the corner? Or do they have him sagging off? Or do they have him guarding somebody else? To what Jay said earlier, maybe it's Marcus Smart or something, something unusual. But if if they come up with the same exact plan as they did the end game one, they have to execute it so much better. And it requires guys like Hunter and Murray and even Trey to be like locked in defensively. And that's a tough ask for them. But if that's, it'll be pretty obvious to me in the first few minutes if that's actually going to be their plan or if they actually have some changes that they're going to implement, mostly with Capella. Jay, I'm going to ask you a question, throw things off. Do oh, you wow. think What adjustments, if any, do you think the Celtics make just in terms of they're probably not going to be able to get to the rim as easily and they did have not as good of a second half. How do you think they attack the Hawks uh, differently or um, just trying to make adjustments heading, knowing that the Hawks are going to make adjustments themselves? I would say number one is quit fucking around in the third quarter. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty obvious two, one there, I think, yeah. Yeah, number two. I mean, it, it's hard to argue with what they did in in the first game from the standpoint of that first half, they just got to the rim time after time. Uh, I do think eventually they'll pull the go-after-Trey-Young card. Um, but if you're getting stops and if you're getting out in transition, sometimes you don't want to like let the play unfold and, and wait for that. Sometimes you just want to attack in early in the shot clock. Um, but yeah, if like, if the Hawks better defenders can't stay in front of guys and if Derek white is drilling threes off the dribble, like that, that's going to be tough for the Hawks in this series because that those two things were like just killers for them, uh, in the first game. I think for the Hawks to kind of steal game two. It comes down to one thing and one thing only, and it's Trey Young needs to be a villain. Like if Trey Young can come out and like score a bunch of things early and get his Trey Young, I'm annoying. I love the being the the like everyone booing me. Maybe a nice uh fuck you Trey Young chant from uh the Boston <laughs> crowd copying our friends down in New York. Like I think that's like the only path forward I see for the Hawks. And I think the but this the Celtics just have such good perimeter defenders that they're, I think they're very willing, like they're very happy to see DeJounte Murray shoot as much as he does. Like they, if as long as they can slow down Trey young, I just don't know what the recipe is for the Hawks uh, moving forward. If like, if Trey young can't find a space to score, like score his 40 point game and be that villain, which we've like seen him be, he's plenty capable of of getting hot and, and doing that. And no one is like kind of a better villain than Trey. But other than that, I think the Celtics are going to be very happy to have anyone else on the roster pretty much shoot. That's the way I would defend the Hawks. I've always, you know, less so with Murray, I guess, than last year. But my game plan until the Hawks show me otherwise is to not let Trey beat me. And if if Trey beats me, then you know that's tough. I guess he's capable of it, like you said. I mean, the Hawks have to. It's not as simple as this, and I hate being this guy, but like it really some some of it is as simple as like Trey has to be really good. And that's if you're a superstar, if, if you're especially when you're a one-star team like the Hawks are, apologies to Murray, like your star can't be bad in a playoff series, especially when you're the underdog. Like it's very simple, but it's true. Like with the way they're built, Trey has to be his A plus self, or at least A minus self, to be even in a even in a game to game. Maybe they can steal one with Trey doing a not great job, but as far as like competing in the series, like he has to be great. And I think he knows it. Maybe he's pressing, but um, it's very simple in some ways. He's got to be good. Is Gallinari 
was he totally washed pre-injury? No, but he's not the same guy he used to be. He can't move is the thing. Like yeah. Offensively, he's really valuable because he's got this – obviously he can shoot – but he also has this very interesting post-up game that can be utilized as like a switch beater. Like, cause he's, he's a little, I mean, he's still next to him. He's, he's a giant, giant and Every man. time I see him, I'm just like, wow. He's a massive <laughs> human so being. I, mean, I try to explain this to people when he was with the Hawks. Like he's a huge guy, but defensively you've got to cover for him at all times. He just can't move. He's not, he's pretty smart defensively. Like he knows where to be, but I mean, as far as NBA athletes are concerned, he is bottom five percentile. He can't move anymore. He used to be a good athlete back in New York and Denver and like that's 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 gone but offensively he can be very valuable for you um as a shooter and somebody who can just kind of break defenses but Boston doesn't really need him it's like such a luxury signing in so many ways like I understood it when I, when I did it but uh I'll be interested to see if he can move at all after this because it was already kind of rough before that yeah it'll be really interesting to see whether he can move I doubt he will be able to but he'll yeah. still probably be able to just punish people on switches I he His can play forever because so if you're fun. if you're six ten and you can bomb like he can and post guys up, he'll have a role forever, like until he's forty probably. Because he just as long as he can run like up and down the court, even <laughs> he has some value. I think. Yeah, he had the last time he did media availability. I think it was the last time he said basically someone asked him if he would rush back this season because it might be one of his last seasons. He's like, I got, I got a bunch of years left. I don't know what you're talking about. He's a confident like, guy. He's a good guy. I mean, everybody loves him too. I know you probably know that yeah. like people like everybody likes the guy. And yeah, I think he probably knows that he can just do this until he's 37 as long as he can functionally move. So I don't know if it's me in Boston, but it'll be, it'll be somewhere. It'll be somewhere. We'll see. The other part of uh, this series that I'm going to enjoy is, the Jalen Johnson experience because it's just all over the place. <laughs> just you never <laughs> no, I, know what you're gonna get, whether it's gonna be just a brilliant dunk or like some awesome defensive play or just something really bad. It's a it's a lot of fun. He's basically a rookie. He barely played at all last year, and he has a lot of high highs. He's a really talented guy, but his lows are also pretty uh pretty maddening in a way that a 20-year-old would be. So yeah. Yeah. Well he's fun. You have more Hawks content, Jay. I'm just amazed. You you just love basketball. This was 30 more minutes of Hawks <laughs> discussions than I necessarily was prepared for, but Jay came in with notes ready. And um sorry, sorry, Jay. That's my fault. I should have brought it back for you. It's fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. This that's... is how I wanted it to go. <laughs> Brad Rowland Roland? Did I say Roland? That? I, I said okay. Rowland initially. Brad Roland, uh, host of the Locked On Hawks podcast and writer for Dime Up Rocks and other places on the internet. Thank you for joining us. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you down the road as see how this series progresses. Uh, me being the optimistic Homer Celtics fan that I am, I it's feeling like a sweep uh, right now. Um, but maybe the Hawks can eke out a game and, and make things more interesting. But thank you very much for joining us here on Anything Is Potable. I appreciate you guys having me. Maybe they can steal one and send it back to Boston for Game Five. We'll see. Thank you very much, man.